So the reading today is um, Isaiah 42, starting at verse 1, and that's on page 728 of the Church Bibles. That's Isaiah 42, verse 1, um, page 728. (laughs) Starting at verse 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Thanks, Annika. In times of crisis, to whom do you look to make things right? Um, When your laptop doesn't switch on, to whom do you look to make things right? When your car breaks down on the side of the road, to whom do you look to make things right? As a country, we're going to be asking ourselves that question probably in the second half of 2024 as uh, election campaigns kick off. There's so much frustration and discontent in our country. We've had an abundance of crises at home and abroad. To whom will we look to make things right? Uh, Will it be Rishi Sunak? Will it be Sir Keir Starmer? Will it be someone else? And of course, we live through personal crises too. Um, There are countless aspects of our own lives that need to be made right. So much is upside down. So much seems unfair. So much makes us ask, why has this happened to me? There are wrongs that need to be made right. So to whom will we look? Uh, Maybe we'll look to the perfect partner. They'll make everything better. Uh, Maybe we'll look for the perfect boss. Surely they will sort everything out for us. Isaiah's time was a time of personal and national crisis. There was an impending invasion And the collapse of society was just around the corner. To whom would they look to make things right? And not just Israel, but the nations around as well. They looked to other gods to make things right. But in chapter 41, just before our reading today, verses 28 and 29, the Lord reveals that the nations were putting their hopes in gods that had no hope of putting anything right. Um, Just to read those verses 28 and 29. I look, but there is no one, no one among the gods to give counsel, no one to give an answer when I ask them. See, they're all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. The Lord puts those idols that the nations were looking to on trial and found that they were nothing. They do nothing. They are nothing. The world was in a terrible place looking for wisdom from gods who couldn't answer. Uh, They were crying out for action to gods that couldn't actually do anything. And these false gods could never make anything right. And of course, our own world, our own personal circumstances, our own national crises, we would be in exactly the same position as those nations if we were left on our own. Um, Whoever wins the next general election might be able to put some things right, 
Your techie friend might be able to fix your laptop. The AA might be able to get your car going again. But really, there's too much wrong in the world for any of those to put things right in any fundamental, lasting way. There's too much wrong in our own lives for any of our gods to fix things really. We need to look elsewhere. Looking, seeing, or beholding are all really important words in Isaiah 42 and indeed 41. Um, Following the ESV translation, in chapter 41, verse 21, God says to the idols, Behold, you are nothing. Then he speaks to the people about their gods in verse 29. Behold, they are all a delusion. And then in verse 1 of chapter 42, in the ESV, unfortunately not the NIV, behold, my servant. Behold, behold, behold. Behold, your idols are nothing. Behold, you've been deluded, you've been conned. Now, behold, my servant, the one who's really going to make things right. To whom should we look to make things right? Oh, hey, I said something about a laptop that was broken. Good thing I've printed off notes. That's really good. It's a lot of tension now because I haven't given you the answer of the question. Uh, to whom should we look to make things right? It won't come as any surprise to us that the answer is the servant and that servant is Jesus. Um, there's not much point in me trying to build any suspense there. Um, though we've, uh, we already know who it is, we already know it's Jesus, it's still worth paying attention to Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 4 because here we have a wonderful portrait of exactly what he's like, what his character is like, just how attractive he is and just how epic his mission is. Um, So here are three reasons, we'll click on, um, three reasons why we should look to Jesus to make things right. Look to the servant to make things right, firstly, because he's God's delight. Both here in the UK and indeed in the US, election campaigns will be really kicking into gear in the next few months. And one factor that's going to be important, maybe more than ever, are celebrity endorsements. So last time round, when Taylor Swift gave her support to a particular Democratic candidate, she managed to swing the vote in that one state by 65,000 votes. Really quite impressive. And don't be surprised if you see this time round Kanye West trying to do the same thing for the other side as well. The impact of a celebrity endorsement is massive, and and maybe that's not surprising. If you're not sure whether to vote for a particular candidate or not, then um, why not look at who else backs them? Are they endorsed by people you admire? Are they endorsed by people you respect? Um, That might be an indication that you can back that candidate too. We should back the servant, we should look to the servant because he has the endorsement of God. Verse 1, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. In this, just this one verse, there are three ways that God gives his backing to the servant. First, God upholds him. Um, This means his mission will not fail. 
Uh, other campaigns fail because they run out of money. Other campaigns fail because there's too much opposition. But Jesus has all the resources of heaven backing him. He has God's unwavering support. Um, second, God delights in him. Now, with all the staff appointments that we're making at the moment, I feel like I've become a bit of an expert at reading referen- references. I uh, certainly have a lot of practice anyway. And the more and more references you read, the better you get at interpreting what the referee is really saying. Sometimes they might I- include a kind of backhanded compliment. They're so charming when they make an effort. I'm not quoting that about anyone you know, by the way. Um, Other times, they'll just list bare facts of what the candidate is good at. Uh, And and that's fine, but what you're really looking for in a reference is, is signs of love and genuine affection. This person has been an utter delight to work with. I'm happy for them, but I'll be sad to see them go. That's the sort of candidate you want to hire. Now, there were other servants that God used in in history, in the Old Testament, but he couldn't ever fully delight in them. The Old Testament nation of Israel was the first candidate for the role of servant, and they were meant to be the ones to bring justice to the nations. They were meant to be a light to the Gentiles. In the previous chapter, God said to that Old Testament nation, you are my servant, but they failed in their task. Instead of being a light to the nations, they became just like them. Uh, They became exactly like their oppressors. And today we pray that the Israel of the present would repent of making that same mistake, becoming just like their oppressors again. Instead, here, in Jesus, we behold a servant who is the Father's utter delight. Um, Do you know the story of when Jesus was baptized? You can read it in Matthew chapter 3. There was a big crowd of people getting baptized by John the Baptist, and Jesus was among them. He went down under the water, and as soon as he came up again, the heavens broke open, and all the people looked on stunned and, and heard with their own ears a mighty voice coming down from the skies, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What an endorsement. The father didn't say, this is my son whom I find very useful. The father didn't say, this is my son who will get this job of salvation done and do you good. Either would have been impressive endorsements in their own way, worthy of giving Jesus our attention, worthy of making us look to him. But God said, this is my son whom I love. This is the servant who he delights in. Pay attention to Jesus because he is utterly delightful. He is altogether lovely. Like By all means, look to Jesus because he'll do you good. He, he really will. By all means, look to Jesus because he can, he can save you. He will. But a thousand times more, look to Jesus because he is utterly delightful. He is altogether lovely. If even God delights in this servant, shouldn't we delight in him too? Um, So God upholds him, God delights in him, and third, God empowers him. I conveniently forgot one detail of um, Jesus' baptism story. He came up out of the water, 
just before the father's, broke, uh, father's voice broke open the heavens, the Spirit of God descended and landed on him like a dove. All three persons of the Trinity working together in unison, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, that was the beginning of Jesus' powerful teaching, his powerful ministry. And that's what we see in Isaiah 42 as well. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Unlike every other would-be world changer, Jesus actually has the power to make real change. The same power through which the world was made is now at work to remake the world. If the power of the Spirit can create the world, the power of the Spirit certainly can recreate it too. So look to the servant, look to Jesus to make things right, because God upholds him, God delights in him, God empowers him. Look to the servant because he's God's delight. And look to Jesus to make things right because he's gentle. We'll click on one slide. If you're making up a fictional character who changes the world, then there are certain characteristics that you might want to put up front in your story. You want to establish certain characteristics with your audience early on. So Mission Impossible films will start with an impossible situation where Tom Cruise comes out of it looking incredibly self-sacrificial and uh, uh, risk-taking genius. Um, Iron Man starts with an origin story that shows just, just how clever and powerful Tony Stark is. Um, none of those hero stories start by emphasizing the hero's gentleness. But that's what we find here in Isaiah 42. That's exactly what we get with the servant. Verse 2 and most of verse 3 tell us what he won't do. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This is something of what makes Jesus so utterly delightful and altogether lovely. He's going to make everything right in a broken and brutal world, but he's not going to use brute force to do it. He's not going to fight fire with fire. He's not going to make peace through war. What aspect of character is highlighted? His gentleness. He doesn't shout. He doesn't cry out or raise his voice. There's no doubting the power of Jesus' words, but he doesn't feel the need to be the loudest person in the room. He doesn't try to dominate by shouting over others, by interrupting them and crushing them down. He has a message that's vitally important, but he's, he's nothing like the aggressive street preachers that you'd cross over to the other side of the road to avoid. Jesus is gentle, and he won't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. Um, bruised reeds and smoldering, smoldering, that's a hard word to say, smoldering wicks are pictures of the people that Jesus has come to help. It's a description of Israel and the nations in Isaiah's day. It's a description of us today as well. Think of the reeds you might see standing around a pond. They're fragile, bending 
swaying in the winds. Um, a man walks by and stumbles clumsily through those reeds, and he doesn't even notice, but the reeds behind him in his wake are, are broken, bent over, bruised, folded over limply, trampled, barely holding it together. Do you know what it lo- feels like to be trampled, to be bruised? Or consider the smoldering wick of a candle as a long evening draws to a close. It had been burning brightly, but the day has gone on so long, and now its fire is burning low, nearly extinguished. There's barely one glowing ember left. Just one more minute or one more breath of air, and it won't be able to hold on to life any longer. Do you know what it feels like to be burning low? If that's you, for whatever reason, Jesus won't break you. Jesus will never snuff you out. He won't extinguish you. You're exactly the sort of person that Jesus came to help. Spiritually speaking, all of us here are are weak. All of us are fragile. All of us are broken. And Jesus came to gently rescue us. Some here today are feeling especially bruised. Some are burning particularly low. Even the decision to come here this morning was a battle. A huge part of you couldn't face up to thinking about big things like the Bible and faith. A a huge part of you didn't want to have to cope with other people asking if you're doing okay. It just seemed like too much. Jesus knows. It's not wrong to feel that way. That's okay. Well done, you made it. That's brilliant. But even now, you've got the barriers up. You've got your guard up. You won't let the songs and the prayers and the people and the message in because you just know that it'll hurt too much. When we've got a wound or a cut, we want to keep it covered, don't we? And we we flinch away from any contact. But that wound needs healing. That pain is revealing to you exactly the part of your life that that Jesus wants in so that he can gently heal it. Let your guard down. Let the songs and the people and the words and the scriptures touch that wound, however painful it might be, and trust Jesus with your pain. He's gentle. He's oh so gentle. He won't extinguish you. He won't break you. He'll make it right. If you want to um, pray about that or anything else, um, I'm here for you. Your brothers and sisters are there here for you as well after the service. Look to the servant to make things right because he's gentle. And lastly, look to the servant, Jesus, to make things right because he brings justice. That's our final slide. Thank you very much. Continuing in verse 3 and 4. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. The Hebrew word for justice means so much more than just a correct decision in the court of law. It means far more than punishing wrongdoers and setting the innocent free. It's much bigger in scope than that. Justice means reordering everything in the world until it's exactly the way that God, the creator, intended Um, It's like the box of Lego has been tipped upside down, shaken and scattered all over the floor. Justice, methodically, according to the instructions, puts every piece together 
in the way that the manufacturer wanted. That means um, right relationships in society. That means healing those who are broken. That means undoing all the effects of sin. That means people in right relationship with their creator. That's justice. Um, And notice that the mission of the servant is far more than just zapping a few people up into heaven away from this broken earth. This is making all things right. The servant's mission is to totally change, totally transform this world. Verse 1, he will bring justice to the nations, not just to one people group, not just to one certain type of person, but to people from every country in the world. And verse 4, he establishes justice on earth, not just in one particular place, but everywhere. This is clearly not an easy task. Uh, According to the verse uh, we've just read, um, he will have to do this in faithfulness because there will be temptations to turn aside. He will not falter, though people will try to stop him. He will not become discouraged, though there will be the worst opposition imaginable. Um, In the end, the servant's mission would take his life. Um, He would suffer the greatest injustice in human history. The innocent son of God would be found guilty by a corrupt trial. The innocent son of God, Jesus, would be executed by wicked men. And yet, this terrible injustice would be the very means by which the servant brings worldwide justice. Ironically and beautifully true. Um, in, um, from Isaiah kind of 40 through to 53, there are several songs about the servants. This is the first one. Uh, and the last one is in Isaiah 53, where we read again of the servant. And it says of him in verses 4 to 6, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A world of justice could never exist until every wrong is made right. A world of justice could never exist until the punishment for every sin is paid. So on the cross, the servant Jesus took our sin as if it was his own. He bore our suffering and our pain as if he deserved it. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, and by his wounds we are healed. One day, the servant is going to make all things right. There's a world coming that is perfect, where all the brokenness is undone, where all your personal crises are no more, where all national crises cease. Don't you want to be a part of that world? The servant is bringing it about. Look to him, and you can be part of that world. Look to the servant Jesus, because he brings justice. How do we look to the servant Jesus? In in closing, stop looking elsewhere. Stop looking to other people to make everything right. Um, That new partner, that new boss, um, that new intellectual thinker, um, 
they're not going to make any fundamental difference. They're not going to be able to right all your wrongs. Only Jesus, the servant, can do that. Uh, how else can we look to him? Um, tell him about all your brokenness. Um, don't keep that guard up. Don't keep that barrier up. Whatever's hurting, share it with him and ask him to make it right. He will. Ask him to forgive, to forgive your sin. He will. And trust him that a world of justice is just around the corner where he makes everything right. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we, as we heard right at the start of this service, you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord Jesus, we, we're astonished at your gentleness. And we pray that whatever's hurting at the moment, that, that you would, you'd come in, that you'd, that you'd heal us, that you'd forgive us, that you'd, you'd right those wrongs. Father, if there's anyone particularly struggling with anything this morning, we pray that they would find gentle Jesus doing his great work in them this morning. We pray that as brothers and sisters, you'd direct us to those who are broken, those who are bruised, those who are burning low. Help us to help each other today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Musicians are coming to the front, and uh, when the music starts, we'll stand to sing See the Man. Um, the first two verses, uh, the first verse, we look at Adam. Second verse, we look at Abraham. And third verse, we see the man, Jesus. Uh, the broken are healed, the blind given sight as he makes all things right. <laughs>